0: different gravy not just another shepherd wednesday podcast i'm one of the hosts richard miller and my co-host was a good boy and actually did his homework this week unlike me teacher's pet dr luke gledor how are you doing today luke
1: i'm doing okay rich how are you
0: doing okay i'm all right yes um a bit tired i feel like maybe i've got some sort of cold going i'm sort of gradually um, re-engaging with the world and uh i suspect what is going to come with that is a is a side of um germs that we've not been exposed to for a year because we've been bunkering down (laughs) so um i suspect there's going to be lots of little sniffles and things like that that aren't covid but uh will give us enough pause to to worry i think that's that's going to be the way of things for the next few months (laughs) at least uh but you're you're generally you're well
1: Uh, generally i'm well welcome to different gravy the podcast with enough pause to worry
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, what else can you say? Um, one thing we're not going to be talking about in any great detail today uh, or at any stage in the podcast is the is the Euros. Would you like to briefly su- summarise why we're not talking about the Euros, Luke?
1: Because I think international football is tedious and pap. That's why, Rich.
0: <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah, I disagree, but that's fine. You know, this is... Um, we, we we live or die by uh, by decisions made together on this podcast. So uh, I'd love to spend the next twenty minutes um, drooling about Billy Gilmore and the fact that he is basically Jesus, um, Allah, and Buddha put together and uh, in a little package that looks like a ten-year-old boy. But I'm not. We're not going to do that. We're going to move on as swiftly as we can and uh, take in some of some questions from the listeners um we're we're also the, the sort of uh the big chunk of today and what I alluded to in the intro is that we're going to discuss the book 91 the inside story of Sheffield Wednesday's 1990-91 season uh by local journal journal Alex Miller so we're going to uh do a bit of a a dive into that and um you know sneak preview Luke finished the book i have struggled uh we will but that, that will be probably part of, make up part of what we talk talking about um but first off yeah we, we've had a couple of um emails from from listeners that we we want to take in and uh, have a little chat about uh so the first one to come through uh was from uh from benjamin i won't say your second name just in case you're not cool with those reading on out I should probably check these things ahead of time um but uh uh we get the sort of slightly backhanded compliment that uh he wasn't particularly convinced by the podcast at first but, but we did grow on him like some sort of mold <laughs> or um cancerous growth uh which is lovely. that's
1: that's fine benjamin i mean we it it took a long time to grow on us as well you know the <laughs> the podcast st- we, we do ourselves
0: yeah i'm still 50 50 on whether or not i like me i'm pretty big fan of you luke but um
1: <laughs> i yeah i i will do the same so we'll probably be just over halfway there i guess
0: yeah yeah
1: when we pull those together <laughs>
0: um but his his question sort of alludes to and i, I think naturally there's feelings and looking at the the chancery project or era as a whole and um His question is, um, did we have the same negative feelings that he had around the start of the Chancery era when we were spending big amounts of money on players and not really trying to put more into the club, Uh, so training ground, matchday experience, uh, the ground itself, in order to sort of lay stronger foundations going forward? Um, And then he goes on to say, if so, what would you rather have seen that money being spent on? So... Did you share that sort of negativity at the beginning, Luke, or were you swept up in the excitement of things?:
1: I think because the the thing is that like early on you swept up in the excitement of the fact that we're actually spending spending top dollar on some you know exciting exciting players or exciting prospects just because of what they you think they're going to give to us as a team. so as part of that project, I think early on I, it, it wasn't something that kind of irked me straight from the beginning. Mm. The thing is I I don't know, it's it's a bit like I've used this quote before, you know, the best the best time to plant a tree is twenty years ago, the second best time is today.
0: That's a good quote.
1: It is a top one. Um, but I think it kind of really speaks to the fact that, you know, we're now here looking back and looking at just a sheer level of missed opportunities. And I think that's kind of the thing that like our view is and I think that definitely what Benjamin and is sharing with us in that email, is it's a missed opportunity because we've not spent the time to plant any real trees X number of years ago. And yeah. it adds up with all the expenditure and the top budgets that we spend to be here. I mean, I, it, it's an interesting thing that we have an owner who has previously made a very difficult time on the kind of PR relation side mm. to be like, hey, we're going to increase ticket prices but then kind of be like well your money doesn't really pay for anything. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's a big thing like especially like you know Benjamin brings up the match day experience. You know we, we don't we don't really know what that could be. I mean it's it might be something small on a sheet that you print out when we you know when we hilariously think back to that QPR documentary we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it it means so much more to us as fans, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. We
1: don't know where positivity can spread. We don't know what it can grow into. You might think it means very less, but I I think we're in a situation where so many Wednesdayites feel incredibly disengaged with this football club.
0: Yeah. Which part of that? Yeah. Part of that is being (laughs) told, you know, your your money doesn't buy anything. Which we again, as you say, we saw that in the QPR. You know, they put ten. they they spent ten quid. And they think they can tell me off kind of thing. It's a really unhelpful attitude for everybody. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because I think early doors, I have to probably admit I was fairly excited and swept up in that excitement. And I remember exchanging texts with you saying, uh, particularly around forestieri and his early performances and just saying like i can't believe he's ours um you know not just having a player like that on loan for a season but having them as our player was really i mean it just unimaginably exciting for that that initial period of time Mm -hmm.
1: um but naturally again as part of that we've we've not seen the kind of you know this is this is old stuff to say but we've not seen the maximization of player sales that like it's it's not purely just a rocket going upwards, no. you know. It has a series of ebbs and flows. It's it's a kind of like a slightly wave. So, you know, interesting that you know, typically to kind of look look across in in the championship at the time that like clubs like Brentford and think, well, it, it hasn't worked for them. And then more probably even more hilarious is the fact that now we've been relegated and probably been overtaken, as it stands right now in the current you know, yeah. current studies of English football by Peterborough, who seem to be a similar club who are doing similar things at just the third tier level. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, continuation and progress is I think what you call it progress for the for the nature that it's it's not everything at once. It is a continued process mm-hmm. that you go through. But I think completely going against that just kind of really stinks of someone who hasn't outlined a business sense for the club and expects that it's it's a purely it's a sausage machine where I feed in money and success comes out
0: <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> it's um... i
1: I really resent i mean i I kind of agree with all three points that were kind of brought up as examples, you know like match day experience and then a the feeling of like I I remembered very clearly, and I'm sure you have the same thing, you mentioned the, you know, the wristbands Mm. from a previous kind of regime. You know, I remembered going down and spending some money on Clobber and felt like it was going towards a project I supported. It, It almost weirdly feels a bit now like how, like, you know, like Patreons are. Yeah. You know, like you have a Patreon and you support artists or podcasters or people who produce things on different le- in levels. And you feel like you're, you're giving money toward, you're supporting someone whose work you value. Yeah. Like, you know, it weirdly used to feel like that, but it just, it, it's, you know, when it's done so cynically.
0: It, it, yeah. It's also the level of money involved. Like, if there's 20,000 fans showing up, putting money... Yeah and losses are within the kind of imaginable realm of a few hundred thousand or things like that, you can immediately see, you know, 10 more lots of 20,000 adds up to (laughs) 200,000. You know, like, that's what... Mm. There's a level where money becomes unreal. And I think that's where... That's the realm we're in now. Most championship clubs are, are losing... Ridiculous sums of money, like unimaginable ten years ago, the sums of money that that they're mm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we, we've we've talked parachute payments to death, but that all that does is allow even more extravagant losses. It means you can go from tens of millions of pounds to a hundred million pounds of losses um, yeah. over over the, over a period of time. But I think that's part of It's like when you can't see your place in that. I think that's the thing with a Patreon. Oh, they've got a 1,000 people that follow them and we're all putting in three quid. Well, that means they're making 3,000 quid out of this a a, a month. That seems like a reasonable thing. But it's also, I feel, valid and valuable as my part in that my three quid actually does something there. If there were 100,000 people... I'd feel like my individual contribution is so much smaller and mm-hmm. maybe I would be less... I don't know, I feel less like I'm, a, I'm giving something back directly to the artist, or it's not quite as direct. Um, and I, th- I just think we've gone past the point of imaginable realms in terms of the money that's wasted within the championship. The losses are so huge and extravagant now even at, even at the acceptable end, what you're allowed to lose is just crazy money. And therefore, as a fan, a punter turning up, my bit in that, I find very hard to see. I'm a drop in the ocean now. And then mm-hmm. also to be told I'm a drop in the ocean really exacerbates that, that feeling. Yes. Whereas, as you say, I, I mean, I, um, I live in Chester. I've got a, the, the local club. Chester here is in the um, Conference North. They put on money so that they could, they put on a crowdfunder so that they could make a program for their playoff game last season. Um, you know, that is a direct, they've got a squad builder fund. So we want to raise 100000 it will be spent on two or three players. Like that is, I can absolutely see what I'm contributing there. If I wanted to kick them tenor or whatever, I can see I'm I'm playing a part in a in in something there whereas my money doesn't really do anything if if the club is losing 50 60 million pounds why do why am I paying double for my season ticket like it doesn't make any difference everybody paying double for their season ticket doesn't yeah. make any difference to that it's the, the realms of uh, the imagination are just stretched it's beyond credulity how much money is getting wasted um, yeah, which it, which I do think makes it very hard. It it does feel like a significant shift away from that community club type thing. Mm. And you also couldn't have. I know that the club has had hard times, and there's still people with living memories of the kind of save our owls type thing. Um, and and you know we've had bucket collections at Hillsborough for Rotherham as well. So I mean it's it, it, it's kind of cyclical in some ways, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine the size of bucket you'd need to save Wednesday at this point. Yeah. Chuck everything you own into uh, (laughs) a dumpster. And uh, maybe if everybody does that, we might scratch the surface of the debt that Chancery has built up during his tenure. Mm -hmm. It's wild. I, I think to come back to the original question in terms of that, that initial yeah. spend and, and the feelings about it, and maybe it could have, I think absolutely it could have been spent better. And probably with, in terms of investment, we're probably not talking about masses of investment to improve the training ground, improve the academy facilities, um, give the ground a lick of paint and new, I think there were some efforts. I mean, obviously we got the screen. I think there was like a, uh, yeah. I think everywhere was painted I think we did get some new chairs in and things like that obviously we've got this lovely big um, white chancery across the north stand that we didn't used to have so, <laughs> so some money has been spent on the ground in some way mm-hmm. we've put that big um, tarpaulin over the away end so rather than fix it in any meaningful way it's now got uh, we've put a cover on it so that's good Um uh, <laughs> been bits and and pieces I think think if you spoke to the average fan and they said and you said I've got five million pounds I can put three million into fixing up the training ground and the academy and two million into the stadium or we can buy a new striker I think fans will always go for a striker I think most fans have a surface relationship with with a football team which is I turn up I want to see football on the pitch and therefore we are pretty base in our needs and wants and that is we'd like to see the money that's going in on the pitch I think the bigger problem with the Chancery era and again we've maybe done this to death but it's what we spent money on it's the lack of churn because we talked about Brentford there's good there are good teams that have a kind of pyramid style football setup that is pretty reliable and forward-thinking um, they don't. They remove themselves from some of the whims of the modern game by looking ahead a couple of steps rather than just reacting panicked in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think Swansea used to be a good example of that. Maybe they're still a decent example. Um, it's certainly not a huge city, and they have a fairly successful football team, but they're the only team in that city. Um, Brentford, this model of we know we're going to lose the best couple of players every season but we've got a kind of shopping list if 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 player x goes we've got player a in to to drop in we we've we know we've, we've scouted them we know they're going to do the same sort of job for us and as you say peterborough do that at a lower level they pick up all these sweep up all these non league sort of talents and give them a chance to shine and they make huge amounts of money selling them on to championship and premier league uh, teams so you can spend money on players and also make money by spending that money <laughs> mm-hmm. if you buy very senior pros at the end of their year their, their their tether their career get them because you've given them an extra year they will bleed you dry and yeah. you won't see any return for it mm-hmm. the big if of series is that if we got up maybe we would have seen some investment in those other areas it was getting trying to get up for the minimal investment was what we tried to do. We tried to do it as cheap as possible.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And it failed. And there was no planning beyond that. So that is frustrating. I think mm. if we knew now the situation, if we knew then the situation we'd be in now, I'm sure there'd be a few more words of caution. But again, I don't. I no longer feel as a fan. I've got much control over things.
1: No. But again, is that, is that purely like a uh, purely more of an illusion type factor, isn't it? Really? I mean...
0: Probably, yeah.
1: But I mean, I don't think... I, I think the interesting thing is still, even though we're doing that, if you've taken a, a discipline idea that, hey, you, we're going to do this to do this, um, you know, it, it has been frustrating to see players uh, basically kind of outlawed from the club. But then typically any offer we got was never particularly deemed good yeah. enough. That seems a big waste of money. That there, there are signings that haven't really made sense. They felt like they made sense a certain time. Like, a play like David Jones seemed like it would be something that would be yeah. absolutely disastrous. But then again, we signed David Jones and then apparently had offers to let him leave the club and that didn't happen. Alman Abdi.
0: Abdi apparently had offers to go elsewhere and we didn't accept those.
1: Exactly, exactly. I But I just, I, I kind of think with the fan experience and the matchday experience, like there are things that you can do to increase positivity. Yeah. Like like here's a thing, like recently we're not during the summer months we're we're downing tool on looking at any sense of news, and it's very hard because well it's, it's it's hard to talk about the news anyway because it's there's very hard to get any sign of anything coming out of the club mm. uh, we're still <laughs> as we record this there's still a great um there's great confusion over whether wages are still being paid, yeah. You know, like as far as we're aware, we're still under a transfer embargo. Under a transfer embargo, there's still things that technically we can do, but, you know, that's not looking possible right now. No. There are so many questions, and we're so close to, you know, having a place come back from whatever holidays they could do within this environment um, to come back and get back preseason training ahead of the 20, you know, this uh, 2021, 2022 season campaign. Yeah, And it's funny because I I think the thing that we typically forget is it's so easy to think about every step and tidbit of negativity. And I'm not saying that, you know, an interesting link to what we're talking about here as part of this question, going into talking about local journalism, because we're focusing on Alex Miller's book. Um, I don't think that there's any kind of great thing to blame. I think they're just trying to do a job and trying to feed people news. I don't think there's an agenda to make things even worse. I think they're just kind of representing what's kind of going on right now.
0: I agree with what you were saying. You know, I, I, I think journalists, the, the local journalists get um, get accused of a lot of things, including being negative all the time. But the picture is a bit bleak at this point in time. And if you're just reporting what's there, that's, that's life. And yeah, life goes on. There's these positive things do come out. It's just this absentee owner aspect is very... Hard to take, and actually, we've had that when it was a UK-based owner as well. I remember long periods where we just felt like the team were or like the, the club was, in complete freefall, and things weren't happening. And it was, it was Dave Allen, and he was, you know, a, 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 I believe he's sort of lived all his life in Chesterfield, so it doesn't necessarily relate to the fact that the owners in Thailand, but it's, it's that being present and being a voice and being around it does go somewhere. And we just don't have that at the moment.
1: But doing that again, I think going back to Benjamin's question is like, yeah, very very simple, basic things that we can do that are small investments that lead to bigger outcomes. Yeah. like you know, giving a mentality that you're maximizing, um, maximizing the mentality across Wednesdayites that, you know, our money is worth something is a positive thing. If there are any upgrades they can do to the training ground that help the injury situation, then that's a win. That's money that you're saving on the money that you're spending on wages. Because, you know, if Jordan Rhodes is injured, we're still paying Jordan Rhodes X, X to the tune of 5,000 figures yeah. you know, pounds, <laughs> of pounds a week, whatever it is, yeah. whatever astonishing amount. That's, you know, whatever you can do, there are things you can do to improve situations.
0: Oh yeah, and a lot of PR, you know, wins for want of a better word, cost nothing. Yeah, it is just, it's just, uh, it, yeah, it's just, it's just making the right noises, and and fans are pretty easily pleased. We want to hear that the club's massive, and we're doing far, you know, like you know, we're pretty, we're pretty easily settled for things when uh when we get told the right, you know, we hear the right noises out of the right people. Um, no, it's, it's just, it's interesting because I I think that that was an, one of the sort of prevailing, uh, I'm trying not to use the word narrative, but it's all I've got. One of the prevailing sort of narratives through the years has been, oh, Chan would like to spend more money. He's really, really rich. He wants to spend more money, but is, is held back by financial fair play. But actually the sort of in the wider investments that we're talking about, improving the ground, community projects, improving the training ground, improving those facilities and the educational facilities there. All of those things actually don't fall under fault, uh, the, the, the FFP. Um, you can make those investments there. They are kept aside from. The, uh, the the rules around spending. The rules around spending are mostly around those direct first-team football spends. So, there's just it, 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 the presumption there is if he had the money previously, he wasn't willing to spend it in that way, or as we're maybe finding out, maybe the pot was a lot smaller than we all thought it was um, from the very off, which is why you do the, the almost sort of fly-by-night route of signing a lot of 30-year-olds and who have Got the right credentials, but the, have not very many legs left, and hoping to get you know drag yourself over the line, kicking and screaming for that minimum minimal investment. Because uh, we did spend some money, but actually the money came, the money and the success didn't necessarily go hand in hand. Because <laughs> I don't think we spent w- wads of cash that first season. Maybe on wages, but we weren't handing out big. Uh, we weren't making big big signings for money no, by and large two, three million here, which is pretty par for the course for the championship. Mm-hmm. We spent, supposedly spent a decent chunk on Reach, who's one of the very few exceptions to that old, <laughs> you know, old crusty end of career signings that we were making by and large. Um, and obviously Rhodes was tons of money, but that was the January of the year, of the second season under Carlos. Yeah. Um, Mm, uh, yeah, it's intriguing. I mean, there's a lot. There's so many what ifs and um, moments that you can look back on and, and see. You know, if things went slightly a different way. Uh, but I have to say, I, my my fan side of things, I would I would rather see the bulk of the investment on the pitch. I know that's short sighted. Mm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind the investment on the pitch with a plan. Is what I would like. That's what I would have liked to see. Ideally, yeah. I, I cannot get that excited. And I don't think uh, an, maybe an improvement to the cha- training ground does mean less injuries. I I, I sort of doubt it, to, um, but who knows? Um, if there was tangible benefits that I could see fairly early on, then that's great. Um, and obviously we all would like to see more youngsters coming through the academy, uh, but I don't know. I don't know what investment there looks like. I don't know why we're held back from um why why we see so many more products coming from Sheffield United, for instance, than we we see coming through our own academy. I'm not really sure mm-hmm. what the reasoning is behind that. Um if that is investment then yeah, maybe some investment there. But by and large, I would I what I want to see is a better product when I go and pay my money as a customer, as I am informed that I am in these in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, we're paying Angus burger prices for the standard burger, or maybe even a maybe even a, an extra value burger, at this point in time. Um, so we've had another. Are we happy to leave that one for now, Luke? Sure, sounds good. Okay, well thank you so much for the question and uh, the compliments. Um, and uh, I, I, d- I particularly enjoyed the fact that you didn't, you weren't really sure at first and uh, and <laughs> gave it the time. So thank you for persevering. You, um, yeah. That's very kind of you. Um, <laughs> uh, so th- we've got another uh, question or so, sort of a question from Paul. Um, it's a, it's, more of a kind of fun idea with uh, with some some questions that spin off the back of it. So, uh this was inspired by the fact that we uh last ep- last time out we talked about uh the documentary four year plan which covered QPR's ascendancy to the Premier League um and left at the high point which I guess is the same thing you would do with a Sheffield Wednesday film you would you would end at the uh at, at Wembley or or with the penalty shootout about to happen you wouldn't uh complete the uh, you wouldn't complete the misery by showing the fact that actually we didn't get over the line you you kind of um, leave the what if hanging um, but um he then goes on to imagine a a book or a netflix show derived from last season for sheffield wednesday with the various plot twists that he lays out um the high expectations despite the 12 point deduction uh, I remember dunkley saying that we we were we were sort of promotion we were in the promotion conversation despite that 12 point deduction uh the fact that the fans were absent because of covid um a middling start to the season and then the point deduction being reduced uh the manager having a 10 point week but still getting sacked uh old school tony pulis coming in and disparaging his team immediately as he came through the door um uh, Acknowledging their lack of skill whilst saying that they're trying hard. Uh, second manager sacked after only one win in 10 games. Key players suffer injuries. A star young player uh, goes uh, signs a new contract in Scotland and is ineffective for the rest of the season. Um, interim manager raises hopes and raises the team out of the relegation zone o- only to go on an- another losing streak. Um, the absent chairman suffers cash flow problems, doesn't pay the players repeatedly. Um new manager comes in but suffers from COVID and isn't actually able to attend most of the games. And then relegation comes down to that final game and the final moments and uh, Wednesday being safe for all of about 15 seconds. Uh, And then obviously the team dismantled as we head to League One. Uh, So he sort of says, would we have a hard time believing it if we didn't know it was true? I think yes is the answer. There were so many things that happened last season that were inexplicable and unbelievable, but they did happen. Um, what do you think of that idea, Luca, a Netflix documentary based on, based on last season? I think we differed previously when we talked about the Sunderland documentary. I said, I'd love to see something like that about Wednesday. And you said you wouldn't. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I think I'd still be embarrassed. I think I'd still be, you know, the heat from the, my face would be, uh, heating, heating <laughs> a good portion of Calgary, you know, from seeing that thing. <laughs> But I mean, from an outside perspective, I think it's um, I think it's it's a little bit funny. I think it's a little bit like, you know, we provided some good drama this year for the out for the external people. Like, you know, there was kind of talk about. I think it was was some of the Americas and they were talking about like they had some uh, people there had some friends of different kind of football clubs who mm-hmm. were kind of you know t- texting. I think it might have been, um, might have been Patty texting Paddy and saying, you know, oh, this is you know, well, commiserations, but I think they're enjoying watching, you know, Derby and yeah, Derby and Sheffield Wednesday having this, uh, having this relegation shootout. And who could blame them? Like, it's, um, it's top quality kind of relegation porn, so to speak. You and know. I
0: imagine Sky couldn't believe their luck,
1: yes, exactly. I mean, <laughs> well, considering. You, you looked elsewhere and there was just zero narrative in the championship.
0: Yeah, there was nothing. Everything else was there pretty was nothing. much sewn up, wasn't it? That even the even all of the playoff places were sewn up. It was just who finished where.
1: And that was pretty much all. the case in the Premier League as well. Yeah. There wasn't any kind of really great last aid joys to be had, you know. You know, especially looking at Man City who, you know, had the departing Aguero, you know. It's a long time since uh, since Aguero scored the winner against QPR to win the win the title against their against their neighbours Manu on the last day of the well, season.
0: It, just this is a, obviously not particularly Wednesday related, but so I found that kind of bizarre. I know there's all sorts of reasons behind the scenes, but we had Pep crying about how wonderful Sergio is, and but at the same time he's the guy that has made the decision. to... To not keep him on as a player at the club, and uh, Klopp did the same thing. Like he said some wonderful things about Wijnaldum, but he's the guy that's made the decision to to not give him a new contract. Um, yeah. What do you make of that kind of <laughs> those situations? I'm just trying to find uh, Klopp's words on Wijnaldum.
1: I I think that's fine because I think we've seen that as Wednesdayites, right? We've seen typical things of like you know we love you ex player, you know we're really going to miss you. But, you know, the bit we're hiding is like, but, but beneath this, you know, you are knackered and old and cannot give us the juice anymore. Which was the case with Aguero, effectively, right? The guy the guy had a very injury-stricken last year.
0: I just don't think Klopp's ever liked him.
1: Well, Klopp and what's-his-chops is something else, I'd say.
0: Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, Pep, uh, yeah, I don't think Guardiola's ever liked uh, Aguero. He's never really... Shown much faith in him,
1: well, maybe not because i I can see a mentality saying you want something else or something different from your main striker mm. um, but I think that's fine to just go ahead and like cut people slack and show some sentimentality, but ultimately not the sentimentality to keep him keep what a thirty two year old on for another you yeah know, season or two seasons
0: i think it's it's i mean i suppose it's it is fair enough it's just the t- it's the tears of like he's such a wonderful person and his, and like, it's like, we well, probably could have given him another year if you love him that much, but I guess that's better than not, <laughs> than not saying anything as people leave, which is what Wednesday I've done in the last few seasons, your family, mm. you can't go anywhere. And then you'll see your contracts up and it's just like radio. So, yeah. silence. Yeah. Um, I know. But Klopp said about, so why now he 30. He's, he's, a, was a big part of, Liverpool's team. He said that this, what this person, this wonderful, joyful, selfless person has done for our team, I cannot sum up in words. We have built this Liverpool on his legs, his lungs, brain, his brain, and his huge, beautiful heart. Um, that's a huge amount of praise for a guy that you've decided isn't worth the money to, to, to sign for another year or two. Um, but I suppose it's nice to be nice to people and, um, Klopp is a very kind of emotional manager. So I I, don't, I just wondered what you thought, because I, I, I found the, um, I just found it a bit kind of, a bit two-faced to be like, oh, they are, do you know that guy? Incredible. I'd love to keep him around. I mean, it's not, um, it is my, entirely my decision, but um, oh, if we could have one more day with Aldum that would be sweet day indeed but he has to go uh pu- again purely my decision uh but um oh, you know i don't know maybe i'm being too cynical mm. in my old age and as i say it's much better to do to be uh over the top and gushing and maybe um still have some friends in the game rather than just shuffling people out the back door without any acknowledgement whatsoever which is what wednesday seemed to have fallen into <laughs> I was gonna say if we did
1: have a documentary, I'd really, really want Jarvis Cocker to narrate it.
0: I thought maybe Tom Wrigglesworth, because he's a he's a, a vaguely famous Wednesday fan as well, the comedian. That Tom. would
1: be good. That would be good as well.
0: Um bring some levity to it. But I think Jarvis Cocker is a good call. And obviously theme song by um Hawley. Sure. You?
1: Yeah, he could do uh he could do something twee but better than the Twee thing for the Sunderland documentary. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. <yeah. laughs> uh oh any ideas on a title i don't know if it was netflix i guess wednesday till we die would work as a kind of brand a bit like um last chance you you see if you got Sunday till i die and wednesday till i die um but no i'm not i'm scratching my head on terms of uh what what that would be Well, I would I would love to see it. I'd, I, and I I'd, I I'd look forward to getting more information about this period in the club's history, because I just... You'd so... imagine,
1: which I guess is the interesting thing to link us on to what we're talking about today, a bit later, mm. uh, in a few or minutes' now. time. Or <laughs> now. <laughs> there's a lot of material. There's probably an absolute ton of material of things that we don't know, and it'll be really interesting to see when it finally comes out in the wash. Like a thorough investigative book on the Chancery era would be very interesting.
0: The worry is it's all sort of non-disclosure agreements and uh nobody's allowed to say anything for for pains of you know fear of death. Um but hopefully hopefully there'll be a there'll be a day where those run out or, or the right people pass away. <laughs> and we get to we get to hear the, the details. I was um, I was wondering about the story behind the inside story of cake ball. You know how late in the day did that idea come up? Whose idea was cake ball? Um, all these things.
1: I'd like a great British Bake Off about uh, doing a cake ball.
0: <laughs> when you're doing a cake ball, the real problem is it might just all fall apart. <laughs> You've always got to think structure when you're making a ginormous cake ball. Cake, cake ball, cake. <laughs> think about your base cake. You've got to, really, you've got to have something stodgy, a Victoria sponge. Some people will start with a blancmange, and you're onto a loser from the very off. Um, oh, Hollywood! <laughs> Baking's blue-eyed boy. Do we mm. want to? That's what I got. Should we move on? I was going to do the same thing. There we go. We were we were so in sync that we clashed. That's um, in a way, it's a beautiful moment, isn't it, Luke? Uh, sure. So, so we we watched the QPR documentary. We had a two week. You know, we had a we we didn't have a podcast last week. We were building up to this podcast. The aim was to read Alex Miller's book, Ninety One: The Inside Story of Sheffield Wednesdays. Nineteen ninety to ninety one season with a forward by Ronald Atkinson. Uh, I should have made a start though that first week. I didn't, and i I've got about I've got to chapter five. <laughs> I'll be honest. Okay. <laughs> I found it a bit well, a a struggle, but you didn't. You you've 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 well, rifled in terms through. of. I also probably said
1: I should have started probably the week that you should have started. Mm. But I did manage to go ahead and kind of rifle through the book over the last kind of two, three evenings.
0: Do you think you've got sort of, in, do you think um, studying English gives you special skills in that regard?
1: Uh, no, because I was actually notoriously bad at uh, reading books in terms oh. of time for, okay. well, I remember trying to cram some Frankenstein in a in a drafty, drafty student toilet uh, before <laughs> going into a seminar once. <laughs>
0: That was just the that was just uh, the the drug of the time. It was, it was the it spice was of the, of that age. I'm, gonna, I'm really worried about this this uh, exam. I'm going to cram some Frankenstein in this toilet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Uh,
0: so I think so. I, I d- d- do. You want me to give my excuses first?
1: Please do. Yes, you lead off with your excuses.
0: So, uh, not I don't do a lot of actual like read book reading i am a kind of audiobook person quite a big podcast person but obviously that doesn't count as a book um so active proper reading don't do so much so i think i'm well out of practice with that so that's my first excuse um this book and i applaud the decision but not available on Amazon and therefore as far as I could tell not available in an ebook form because I think that's probably my next favorite thing because I can kind of read a you know cram in a, a bit like Frankenstein in a drafty toilet I can cram in a page or two on my phone um, I don't need to carry the book with me if it's uh, if it's on if it's on Kindle for instance um, but that said it is a it's a nice sort of uh, weight and shape of a book uh, a pleasant thing to, to, to wield. And it's not too, it's not particularly long. So I am a bit, uh, I, I, I apologize and I am embarrassed for my, um, m- my inability to, to finish my dinner in this regard. Um, two, 223 pages for the main, uh, schlep of the book, uh, not including the kind of tail end acknowledgements and things like that. So it's not, um, it's not arduous by any means. um, so the the reason that this season is is picked out I'd imagine for most folks is obvious but uh 90 the nineteen ninety ninety one season was the last bit of silverware that uh the club picked up. Uh we won the league cup and also won the second division uh which I guess is the championship nowadays in the uh, in the rebrand of things. And it was just on the cusp of, there was lots of talk of a super league, wasn't there, Luke? So there's this super league turned out to be mm-hmm. the premier league. So what you wanted to be was you wanted to be in the door before the club closed as the idea. Um, so getting relegated when, when we did at the end of the 89, 90 season was pretty poorly timed and there was a bit of a race against time. So um, that's, that's the reason for focusing in on this and, uh, what, so I don't know. How do you want to tackle this? I've got some notes for the chapters that I've looked through, uh,
1: but how about we carry there and then I can kind of chime in and then maybe just pick up and carry on from there, effectively.
0: Okay. So, so the first thing is is big big Ron's, uh introduction. Uh, mm. Obviously, a charming and ebullient character. Um, one of the very first people to be cancelled, um, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> as well. <laughs> um obviously that's not dwelt on in the book in any real way um from what you read from what i read yes um mm-hmm. although he did very early doors mention that carlton palmer was a friend of his so he's getting that kind of um most of my friends are black uh, uh <coughs> justification in that hey. a lot of racist you straight away <laughs> um he mentions in the introduction that we're the best team ever to get relegated from the first division, which is a very Wednesday backhanded compliment claim to fame um, <laughs> at the time the only team to get relegated with 40 points as well so it's a record record high point total to get relegated with and and that's kind of part of the scene setting so the prologue is is that a prologue and the and the wooden scoreboard the first chapter are looking at the, the the events at the end of the season i just put in part the, the prologue just mentions in passing that the season the 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 season in question we scored 103 goals in 60 matches which given the sort of very thin gruel we've been served up as wednesday fans of late just sounds ridiculously outlandish in terms of a number of goals mm. I mean, that's all, almost two per game and we're lucky to get one every two games at this, at this point in time. The Monk years and uh, and, the, and the, the the various characters since. So prologue sets the scene a little bit. Uh, did you have anything from Big from Big Ron's intro?
1: It's interesting that the foreword from uh, Big Ron is tinged with a touch of Wednesday disappointments. You know, we can't ever really enjoy the moments of what they are, can we? no you know, there's very much a mentality and a focus from, you know, it's interesting because we go in to look at and interview all of the players. I mean, I I was really glad to see a couple of people, a few people who are very prominent names of that squad in that time and that era, who've come back to Wednesday and had continual disappointments from what's happened to them. Mm. So first of all, let's talk about Big Ron Atkinson, already within that forward makes a reference to him basically having some some kind of being subject to revenge from Dave Richards. Yes. Um for his second stint as manager, Wednesday manager in ninety seven. I yeah. think it was purely I think we all know it was purely done to kind of really stick it up Ron Atkinson for after the end of the season, you know, jotting off to uh Yeah jotting off to to his beloved aston villa yes, but it it just feels a bit like i mean I mean this is the thing we the book is very good for kind of for giving so much feeling and emotion and talk about everything that happened during that period and that time. yeah, I think we can look back and still say, I think that is the argument of the book, but i I still think we typically focus ahead of time and say in a very Wednesday fashion, these are the people who were who were kind of kind of done, done, done a little bit harshly by the club. You know, so those other people, you know, Chris Turner returns. Chris Turner, you know, league winning goalkeeper for Wednesday. Mm. Danny Wilson is interviewed. Yeah. And in more recent times as well, uh, David Hurst, who yeah. I think we all seemingly know that he has a lot of issue with the club over how his son George was treated.
0: So sort of oh, ongoing Jeffing burning of bridges, this seems to be a bit of a Wednesday. It
1: seems to be, but I I think the big thing that I got from this was just, it was, and this is more, we can still carry and go back through our kind of, we'll kind of slightly chronologically go through this. I actually stopped making notes after about chapter six, because I, I, I'm very conscious that we did a podcast last week, which was about um, a documentary, which we pretty much laid out all of the moments that, <laughs> <laughs> happened and all of the comedy that was within there. Yeah, um, I I kind of want to lay off this a little bit because I I kind of want to keep the powder dry for if anyone wants to go out and read this because I I I think there's a lot here to enjoy within this, so I, I don't want to spoil too much about that. So I'll talk kind of quite generally about it, but I think it was really pleasing to see all these characters talk about what a great time it was in Sheffield Wednesday's history and what a great time it was to be a footballer for Sheffield Wednesday and be part of that squad and part of that, that kind of family of friends that they had there.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well that, no, I think that's fair enough. I think that's a, it's a fair instinct and um, people, yeah, if you're interested, I mean, the the chances are we will, just by the nature of talking about this, we will, we will sort of, um, we will talk about the odd thing that, you would maybe wouldn't know without reading the book so if you are if you're interested probably the thing to do is not to is to pause the, the podcast at this point and, and and go read the book yourself um it's available from the publishers um at a fairly reasonable rate uh so it's vertical com if you want to go and uh and purchase it for yourself uh it's as we say it's it's a pretty it's a um a reasonable length of mm. volume, so it's not it's not going to. Uh...
1: And your copy will probably be put in the post and posted to you by uh, Piggy Journal, Danny Hall as well.
0: And that's how he uh, addresses himself on the uh, on the post, <laughs> <notes>, which is
1: Journal, <laughs> know, and then he gives the address for return in case it, in case it doesn't get to you, folks.
0: Uh, oink oink. Yours sincerely, Piggy Journal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> little... Little paw print for the signature.
0: (laughs) Little off print.
1: Dips his trotter into some ink.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Well, Mm. I mean, you can, I suppose, uh, I've, I, so I've made notes through my sort of section, but it, it does, it sort of swings around about a little bit. So, so the prologue, I just, uh, expressed sort of amazement at the 103 goals in 60 matches and then there's a there's a nice chunk that sort of sets the scene for the book ahead so lost in the shimmer of glory certainly lost in the three decades that have passed our memories of the times the 1990 91 season weren't so great of the endless string of drawn games the changing room rows the injuries uh, the fact that the league title hadn't quite been achieved this is the story the book sets out to tell so you know that's kind of scene setting I i then i then got notes uh uh, the wooden, the the first chapter which details the last day of the season and the relegation is called Wooden Scoreboard, which is interesting because it's more last day drama involving Derby. So some of the the parallels to this season that's just been mm-hmm. are, uh, are writ large at that point. Um, a I've, I've book based on lots of research and extensive interviews. Even going far, going as far as to interview ITV's Nick Owen for the all-important sound yes. view of of Wednesday, the day Wednesday were relegated in eighty nine ninety. Um, <laughs> Nick Owen, he it was it was a pretty good value uh, talking head, I think, for uh for for Alex in in writing the book because he uh he pops up several times to add a little bit of an outside perspective. <laughs> Um the, so the season that we went down own goals were our third top scorer that's pretty incredible mm. uh, <laughs> behind um Hurst and Atkinson it would have been Th- there's a phrase which I'm I've, I'm not sure I've heard previously used in that in that chapter which is called uh, bottom belly nervousness that's is very that, interesting is that just talking about pooing yourself
1: I don't know I I wondered if you I, I don't know I, you know there's a, there's a few turns of phrase which I'm just gonna be a little bit critical of so that, that kind of came up. I was a bit like really. <laughs> um, I I don't know if it's just me. I I think saying that Nigel Worthington had a left foot that could do a crossword
0: <laughs> was, I wrote that was a before.
1: bit much. You wrote on there as well. I, I thought that's the thing you were gonna talk about at first. Yeah. So I the thing I will find is like that there's some definite need to. And then I think Carlton Palmer is described having an accent thick enough to stir his Guinness.
0: Yes, I also noted that down. Um, described as having a black also noted that so well. I it could be used to stir a pint of Guinness. Yes. Was he specifically um, noted as being a Guinness fan, or is that
1: <laughs> uh I don't know, but I I think it's more the narrative in keeping with the theme of hey, they these lads that drink, you know?
0: Yes. Which I, uh
1: so- Hilariously, I, I, I would have liked to have kept the, the powder completely dry. Into coming into this to talk about this, but <laughs> I must say, I, I really, really enjoyed some text I shared with Rich last night. <laughs> Could you expand on such a such so, a topic, Rich?
0: Well, I don't. So I I want to encourage uh, the endeavour of a journalist taking the time to write about about our football club in detail. I um, I think that's one of the things you suffer from is a bit of a, an anonymity in the world when you don't support Man United or Liverpool or you know one of the kind of charmed few football clubs that have huge societal acceptance. You don't get quality in depth coverage about your thing. So I think on some level I don't want to. Um, I I didn't finish the book in part because it was a bit of a chore for me. I'll, I'll be honest. So I, I gave mm. the the lifestyle reasons. I also wasn't I I wasn't dragged along by the narrative. Um, I, I think propulsion is sort of important in uh, in in uh, reading through a book, and I didn't feel propelled um, particularly. It take it, I, but I think the same thing that I was I was struggling with Luke enjoyed, which kind of shows you you know opinions mm. like opinions like bottom belly nervousness um we all have them and (laughs) but Mm. so i think the exhaustive nature i I felt like this could do with a good edit luke like has liked the fact it's sort of exploring all the corners and and having all those Mm. conversations um so i've i've chancing upon this mention of nick owen i sort of was making a bit of a running gag it's like go here here we go here's nick owen again um like (laughs) what do i care what nick owen thinks or or thought uh that that was kind of (laughs) where i was coming from but it shows that you know everybody has been spoken to you know if somebody bought a paper off the the lad on the corner we found the lad on the corner and we know what the lad on the corner thought about selling the paper to such and such it's 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 where it's that is good thorough journalism and it's great um well you know great effort well done alex but there are certain things i just found a little bit tedious and one of those was uh these these are people that like a drink and within (laughs) the first chapter i think we i'd got fed up of the different synonyms for wanting to have a drink, liking a drink, and then just sort of summed up various chunks of the book as Player X, who loved a drink, by the way, was great friends with Player Y, who didn't mind a tipple. And when they got together with Player A, let me tell you, they drank some drinks. Uh, The other thing that comes up again and again is this kind of saviour figure of Ron Atkinson. Uh, So um, the next... Coda to my little bit of a rant to Luke was uh, Big Ron was like, is that too much drinks? Uh, but he secretly knew it was just enough drinks because he was a great man manager. Uh, there's several. T- I don't know how many times we need to be told, and by how many people we need to be told that Big Ron was a great man manager. We heard it from him. We heard it from uh, a member of his support staff, and I think comfortably in the first three chapters, there's about six players that mention that he was a great man manager, um, which. I get, you know good uh, you he was a success a very successful manager maybe not as successful as he could have been should have been um but more power to you <laughs> but mm. yeah there's an ongoing thing this is a a squad that really did uh indulge in 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 drinking uh for the most part it seems to be one of the things that kind of uh, bonded them together, which is very positive. Um, and that, so v- several of the stories are around that. If you enjoy the Under the Kosh podcast, I think there'll be lots of sections of this book that will absolutely tickle your pickle because that's a similar sort right. of thing. Like, Yeah, you know but I mean, yeah, Cosh
1: but Cosh I, mean like... I don't know how much of this, Rich, is just like, uh, this is telling the, the nature of the era. Like, this is, this yeah. is different than the football. I mean, I, you know, the thing I was thinking about today when I was thinking about this with like kind of contemporary football is like, I feel there are so many things in modern life, kind of the life we live now, which were not kind of experienced enough to really have a good understanding of how it kind of goes. Mm. So I think it's interesting to look at that era of football and be like, well, they were just lads, you know, you yeah. know if, they, if they went and they did the stuff on the pitch, then what's the issue?
0: Of course. And, and there's no judgment, really.
1: No, but I think, unfortunately, um, maybe there's a, a sadder narrative to look under that and say that these people were successful, so we excuse their alcoholism. Yeah. Which is something else completely. But I don't want to go there because it's, <laughs> it's, it's. you know, again, it's, it's a little bit like, well, you know, there are other players who can do that but probably not be as good. So, like, unfortunately, it kind of hides the fact that you know, well, it's, they were
0: successful on the pitch. I think there's also there's never the examination of well how how good could they have been if they weren't because there's a little touch of this in the in the kind of preseason coverage um, that they they shared a a hotel or a villa with an Italian team and it's like oh they were in bed by eight o'clock and it was only preseason and there's almost like a sniff like it's like a kind of reverse snobbery from Br- from british i mean british people are, are weird about alcohol anyway like if you do not drink that is a you are in many ways a social pariah and it's mm. you need to explain why you don't drink and things like that and like there is this kind of like oh those bunch of weirdos that turned out to like beat them five nil or six nil that didn- weren't drinking and um just having a lad's holiday um and there's also the, the waddle tells a story about when he turned up in at marseille and they had a fridge that was full of water and then by the time he left it was half water and half beer like that was a yes I won them round they saw the sense of having some beer in the fridge which is fine but it's like yeah they mm-hmm. are professional athletes Um, They're increasingly well paid for what they do. I guess at this time that was not quite the case. You know, you 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 were probably well paid at this stage, but you weren't like. But is
1: but is there like a difficulty with like the modern footballer's life? Is like we've not kind of it's difficult to kind of acclimatise to. Mm. But also, I think there's a difficulty that people said like you know, it's also difficult for young men who are given so much money so easily
0: and nothing to do. That's the thing. And nothing
1: to do. do. They're done
0: by one o'clock. More often than not, like they have a lot of time. Yes, <laughs> lots of money and boredom are is a bad combination.
1: <laughs> bad little cocktail. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, Phil Taylor bloody loved. Um, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> that was the comment, wasn't it? When the hotel and the Italians were playing chess in the uh, chess yes. and the foyer. was that? Yeah, yes.
0: yeah. Like I, 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 I. Go on, what's...
1: <laughs> no, I, I just it, it is interesting, isn't it? It is a, it There's a its very much a cultural difference. Yeah, which me and you are part of, right? Oh, absolutely. But
0: still I, like I it's still like an
1: element of that. It.
0: It's the assumption that you know.
1: Just today, I was having a conversation, having a conversation with nutritionist to be like, well, how you know? I was like, well, you know, if if I'm having acid reflux, what's the thing of alcohol? And it's like, well, it's not particularly good for it. Mm. It's like, how much alcohol do you drink? And then again, it's that standard question that I feel as an Englishman. <laughs> I'd come into every time I go to a doctor and be like, well, I don't regularly drink X units of alcohol a day, you know, but I will go and binge drink once every yeah, yeah. two, three weeks. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right? Did you see that? That was, um, that was, I will have, like, sorry, Harry, Prince Harry uh, was like talking about, oh, I've really gone into some very, you know, it's quite sad. And I got into some pretty, troublesome drinking and then it's like oh so what happened well I wouldn't drink every day but every couple of weeks I would probably have about 10 units and you're like so like everybody else that is literally like 90% like everybody, of everybody else yeah <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> yeah I, I say
1: there's, I a, don't there's a British men- mentality in culture to be like we're gonna go out in the lash we're gonna fucking do this up do it properly
0: <laughs> yeah well, that's it. Because when I'm asked, no, no half measures or half week, units, how many units do you have a week? In the average week, none. But if I have some units, I'm having some units. Yeah. Having yeah. <laughs> <mean>, some units. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you, Colin Palmer liked some units back in the day.
1: Pod- <laughs> tell me a lot. Well, Podcaster A, you know, would go out with friends. Oh, they, they like some drinks.
0: In that um, that sort of um, relegation chapter, I did also touch on. Mm. uh, I did make a touch on a peculiar Wednesday trait of being surprised by what, in hindsight, seems a bit more obvious. This unthinkable relegation followed a season where the Owls had stayed up on the last game of the season. (laughs) Like The story of the chapter is like, this team of internationals with their famous manager couldn't possibly have ever thought about being relegated. And it's like, well, the season before you were almost relegated, maybe, maybe a bit of forward planning. You might have seen that, that that's a pretty likely outcome the next time as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, um, we also had uh, Alan Biggs described as mustachioed, uh, which was rather fun. I, mm. I, I wrote the who d- who done it unveils alan biggs disguised under a fake mustache popping the wednesday night bubble again um because the yeah this uh, well we won't go into the story but the the last game of the season does sound mad in a f- particularly bafflingly old-fashioned way um <laughs> in- including the wooden scoreboard uh mm. So there's a there's a couple of bits of unfortunate planning or fortunate planning in hindsight that um, the end of season player uh, players um, sort of end of season awards were immediately after the relegation uh, final whistle blew, um, so <laughs> players had to go in and have dinner with fans at their table, which. Um, I bet it was great. I bet that was so good. Um, and then he also went on this Jolly Boys trip to Marbella immediately, immediately after the day after basically uh, being relegated. Um, Big Ron, not a drinker. His tipple of choice was tea, the weirdo. Um, he should have had some units. He should have had some units. I, I also, uh, I noted down, uh, this is holiday blues I'm into now. Carlton Palmer described as a social hub, a one-man forerunner to Myspace or Bebo. <laughs> um, uh, and my, I, I enjoyed the fact I loved
1: I loved some of the really like knowing writing, like yeah. uh, the 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 brilliant line about Bing riots and there was something about the piano bars and moored super yachts that Atkinson rather enjoyed.
0: <laughs> well, I loved like Marbella being set up as this glamorous upmarket playground to the moneyed and then um slightly let down by the fact that they describe he describes multiple times that they had to go over the dual carriageway to get there <laughs> that is fantastic it just made me laugh it's just so like humdrum in the midst of this like yeah there's sort of you're imagining monaco um yeah. but it's like yeah we just all you need to do <laughs>
1: run over, vault yourself over when there's no traffic, you know, risk your life.
0: <laughs> uh, hop over the cycle path and then through the fields with the sheep in, and then you're in the middle of the millionaire's playground. <laughs> um, a hilarious story about tapping up Danny Wilson, just, uh, early doors, mm. a conversation that ha- that didn't happen, but happened. um, <laughs> yeah i just put a note like ringing ringing en- any enviable value out of his chat with nico and he pops up again in this chapter <laughs> uh anything else on holiday blues oh i was that when paul williams comes in or was that later um i think he was on like the second because it this like that wasn't really a pre-season trip was it It was just a it was just a piss up essentially and then they went on a pre-season trip to it, where they played it. Well, the south coast of Italy, I think. And Whenever
1: Paul Williams comes in, did you love the fact that Paul Williams saying you remembered just how well-tanned Big Ron and his wife were?
0: <laughs> yes, I did love that. <laughs> I think that might have been in the next chapter Scallywag potentially.
1: Oh, Scallywag—the most. I I feel like the word Scallywag was liberally overused. I mean, it was quite fun. I can see why. I can see why Alex Miller did it. I. But, I, uh,
0: I I wrote that cha- I wrote about that chapter. Kind of a who done it? Who is the Scallywag? Um, and then are you it, saying it, who
1: is the real Scallywag? Are you suggesting that there's a there's a different Scallywag? Is it? Is
0: well, I just you didn't. It it wasn't. You say Scallywag was liberally used, but it wasn't for about the about two thirds of that chapter. There's no mention of the Scallywag, and I was like, oh, we're really building the building the drama here in terms of who is the scallywag and but it, was heard, shares, let's be honest. it was it just it turns out to be sheridan but big ron doesn't like nice boys or villains but he loves one or two scallywags we uh, we find out <laughs>
1: fantastic
0: <laughs> ironic seeing as he he left us for villa that he, he says he doesn't love he doesn't love it doesn't love villains i know hilarious mm. but that's a kind of um that's one of those man management moments from from not to not to spoil it from big ron one of his genius man management moments involves uh the scallywag sheridan and his uh mm. his, like, late night escapades <laughs> um so i my, i've i've got some some notes on yellows and then that's that's me for my notes but i'm happy to kind of um leave myself in your hands from that point on if uh if that's the way to work it Luke.
1: sure yeah i mean my I, my notes dwindle out as well because i think i got to the point of i needed to focus on finishing the book and i didn't want to spoil too much and i didn't want this episode to just be us kind of just making a patchwork quilt of Which all the is, things we yeah. enjoyed or didn't enjoy for others
0: yeah well, i suppose that's the thing as well it's not it's it's a different way of Doing like watching a football match and making notes on it is different than just watching a football match. Same with the film, same with reading a book. So that's another thing that maybe, yeah, maybe if maybe mm. the idea would have been just to sort of read it through and then maybe pick out selected highlights afterwards. But, um, do you think
1: just as a kind of overall arching conversation and just about things that we think about, um, do you think, you know, the fact that we are kind of English and British and we there is a kind of there are still hangups of culture that kind of lend ourselves to things that we look at rich um mm-hmm. so the interesting thing i want to kind of bring up as in regards to that was within that yellow chapter i noted the old-fashioned joy of setting players targets love it yes that was one thing that i think me and you even though you know i think we probably pine for something a bit more kind of modern and kind of forward thinking like the element remember the times of megson yes
0: giving players targets I think everybody in the squad had a goal target under Megson, didn't they?
1: Yes. Yes, they did. And it was a similar deal under this as well.
0: Yeah. It was
1: like like, which, collecting... Looking back at his side, they they make a lot of noise about, which I think should be made a lot of noise about. But that seems to be, again, similar to the drinking thing.
0: Mm. There seems
1: to be many things that kind of crop up very repeatedly. And that's Pearson, you know, Nigel Pearson and Peter Shirtliff, um having, you know, just bagging a whack of goals between them.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Pearson getting like 12 or something for the season,
0: something ridiculous. Extraordinary, really is. Mm. And that I, that's the that's a nice thing is that, yeah, the 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 football d- doing it playing good football and that being a kind of stated aim seemingly from the off is uh is something that is all too rare. Um always in football. I mean pragn- pragmatism is is feels like a first uh, port of call for for football teams at, at almost all times so even in the midst of this kind of surprise crushing relegation the dedication is to playing better football scoring more goals you know it's not batten down hatches and get through it which is um it's that's a lovely thing to hear. <laughs> and i hope that was it was as kind of painless and obvious as it seems to have been in in uh, in in retrospect um I just noted down in, in terms of that Yellow's, cha- uh, the Yellow's chapter, um, uh, F- Phil King uh, described as a fun time left back um, and then also unable to fight the voices in his head, which is slightly more disturbing. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, another bit of genius, Big Ronnery. Worthington can't pass down the line so uh, uh, because he's in pain due to a groin injury. Try passing inside. Worked like a charm. Worthington scored. There's a lot of big one is the is the hero basically. He's Superman of the book uh fairly often <laughs> at least in these early chapters. Um there's also a weird just to, to speak about odd turns of phrase. Uh there's a weird bit here. Um it's Williams talking about being a southerner. Might struggle to find it now basically he said he sa- he says that southerners were uh, northerners um revere southerners as soft, and I thought that was such an odd that's not how you use revere is it
1: no no
0: um
1: revering is a positive right?
0: <laughs> yeah 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 here we go I came from London and my impression from the outside was people from Yorkshire revered people like me as southern softies. That's um yeah, it just was struck me as very, very odd because I'd never heard the word revere used in that way. And maybe I shouldn't have ever heard it. Um <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of me in terms of my notes about things. So take us home, Luke. I, I convince me that it's a good idea to to see this out and see this uh, this project through and uh, and finish it and polish off the book. So
1: I guess like the real joy of looking at this, looking at this book is There's a lot of characters at the time. They're made to be characters. You know, they're supported in being characters, so you get those stories, which leads to the narrative about players liking drinks, right? And that leads to the stories. Yeah. Which is fantastic. I think the fact, the sheer weight of the season, the fact that we have so many characters that Wensleyites love as great, amazing players, just really adds, you know, here we are on the 30th anniversary, looking back at, the cream of the crop of that early nineties crowd and, and compilation of players. Yeah. I think adds just so much value to it. I mean, that's the interesting thing is like, there's a lot of meat. There's a lot of stuff to go over here. So I think Alex Miller does a very, very good job. I would say for, about, I'd be a little bit critical of some of the, the thing I found was early on, you like some of those weird turns of phrase. Mm. I think they're peppered at the beginning, but I think when you get some momentum and get into this book, they're either less of them or they just kind of get blurred with the pace that you're ripping through this book. Okay. It's a real jaunt yeah. when you get going. So I I do share that little bit of criticism about that. I felt that Alex Miller did a brilliant job of mapping out the season mm. and kind of structuring that, which there's a couple of things that I, I want to kind of focus on. Um, firstly, like, I bring up those characters. The big thing I want to say was I... I think I speak for myself and probably a lot of people. I love John Hawks.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah.
1: He's a very, very charming man. And there's a lot of great stories about him coming into the club when he came on trial with Tony Miola. Nice. Who, uh, you know, you have a brilliant line from Ron Atkinson where uh, basically they came on trial and they wanted them to stick around for a bit longer. Tony Miola says he wants to go off and try some clubs in Europe. And then I think big Ron said to him, if it's not Big Ron, it's another character within the club. Uh, Juventus, more like Frey Bentos, <laughs> as he was the chunky man. I think Tony yeah. Miola was like the there's been a rich vein of this. Was kind of interesting to so look at these people that they're the beginning of the the Americans coming into the sports mm. and kind of still not being very revered. But I think there's still a big focus on John Harks for his Scottish parentage, yeah. Like having a mentality that, like, he grew up in a place where football was was accepted, and he kind of grew up watching watching soccer matches in the local Irish bar type thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's nice. I will say, for a little sprinkling of pretentiousness, uh, Rich and I are both huge super fans of. Um, the, the best podcast in the game, Doughboys. Yes. every episode of Doughboys, it's two American comedians reviewing chain restaurants. The host, Nick Weiger does a very, very kind of academic Wikipedia type storytelling about introing every chain yes. restaurant they do linking yeah. them to some event or sometimes a formation of the company, uh, rich, I will urge you to go and have a look at the beginning of chapter six. It starts with a description of a Clark Fred company going from Scotland to the United States, very doughboys
0: oh nice,
1: very very doughboys
0: okay excellent. there's
1: also a brilliant there's a lot of talk with I think the bit I like is like when you start to go through this narrative, you afford yourself the space and the time to go off and kind of focus on about characters coming into the club, so I really like John Harts kind of coming in. There's also a great little story as well. I'll try not to spoil too much else um. I'm keeping this really at a minimal, I will say, folks, I I could have just done, I could have done this and just ruined the entire book for everybody. <laughs> uh, but there's a brilliant bit about how John Harks is meeting Trevor Francis. Okay. Uh, Trevor Francis had a period during, you know, dr- like a lot of the UK professionals around, you know, late 70s, early 80s, coming oh, yeah. to the States and playing a few games in the kind of boom of the MLS. I will say if there's a documentary we could watch, Rich, which would be an international one, Once in a Lifetime, I think it's called. It's about the focus of the growth of the MLS in the 70s. Okay. And, you know, talking about Pelé going there. And, you know, you have some brilliant bits like Rodney Marsh was there. Oh, yeah. He was hilariously interviewed by the American media saying that, you know, people are saying, Rodney, that you're the white Pelé. Uh, well, I actually think that Pele is more like the Black Rodney Marsh. Which, <laughs> a attempt at humour, which apparently didn't go down very well with the American media when they came out with that. I don't think they kind of really saw the the, the English kind of humour as part of that. So there's a fantastic bit where John Harkes shows a picture of a young John Harkes meeting Trevor Francis, and so that is an amazing piece of story. The bit that's even better than that, Rich, is the revelation that Francis was confused by it was even better.
0: <laughs> Brilliant.
1: So there's some yeah, there's some really good stuff through there, I will say. Yeah. One chapter I want to focus on, which I thought was really interesting, was talking about we we shift the focus to talking about purely just the straight first team. And he actually talks about Wednesday had a quite successful uh, youth team, who actually think when the FA Youth Cup.
0: There is, yeah, that's mentioned early doors a couple of times as well, isn't it? The, the, which is interesting tying into our talking about spending money away from the first team because, yeah, successful throughout the club. So, sorry, go on. Mm.
1: So it's interesting because he then goes and focuses on, he sets up a narrative which he can see what he's doing, which is basically saying they're up against Manchester United. You know, one of them is a young kid named Ryan who has a world of his feet and is talented, does all these. The other team has Ryan Giggs. So the focusing on you remember Ryan Jones. Mm. Do you remember Ryan Jones as part of your kind of, you know, me and you are the same age, we both came to Vaguely, vaguely. Wednesday that kind of young age. But Ryan Jones was a very, very promising young Wednesday player who unfortunately had a series of very drastic injuries and retired mm. at the age of twenty three, which I think was probably around nineteen ninety four. Right. But again, was someone coming up through, and I think we kind of forget like some of those characters from the youth scheme because they look at David Weverall, John Newsom. Oh yeah. Graham Hyde as oh, well. Yeah. You know, Graham Hyde, very, very good player considering oh, kind yeah. of came through the ranks at Wednesday. And that was a really nice detour, I must say. That was it was really nice to see Ryan Jones talking about being really thick in the midst of that Wednesday youth side and just like how long the days were and like a different era. Mm. But he's just said, I think, as he said, puts it himself, he's like, me and my friends were just bouncing around the stadium all day. You know, we were getting there at eight in the morning and leaving at 10 at night, type thing. And there's also some fun, fun little bits and bobs about them getting hand me downs, kind of, you know, getting some really bad boots nice thing like this but they, they absolutely loved it so <laughs> that was really good i found yeah. it like very, very i i found the emotion hit when it did it's very touching i i think it's i think it'd be difficult to write a bad book yeah about this era i think alex Miller, like i said alex Miller i think does a very very good job with this uh there's just so much material and in someone like big ron atkinson you very much have a character you know i I do take it with a pinch of salt, and I see your point. Like, you know, he knew something was just enough drinks. You know, that was <laughs> Like but there's so much good value for this, and it it hits. It speaks to a lot of Wednesdayites who I don't specifically remember this era so well. Yeah, but the fact is that there's a number of characters around this who kind of carried on in a prominent feature. During to the time that I think, like Rich and I, you know, when we were kind of 9, 10 and the early 90s, yeah. that comes into the 92, 93, 94 season and it, kind of mutates from there. So there's yeah. so many, so many very well revered characters.
0: I mean, Big Ron is a, it's an overused phrase, but he's a larger than life character. Like he always stood out. He put, I mean, it's hard to imagine he stood out even in his second sort of run of things, which was. Uh, almost sort of 10 years later uh, how much he would have stood out in the 80s and early 90s is it's wild this you know well-dressed loads you know sovereign rings and I mean it's essentially like a sort of Delboy type character I mean it's, it's fascinating in the same way that Red Redknapp was a fascinating character because he was a man out of time <laughs> Big Ron must have been a bit ahead of his time I guess um, mm. so yeah no it's, it's it's great to know that there's so much value in him as a as a character because he does absolutely I mean, he's always stood out
1: um, what a good connection for us to kind of link the two things from this week and two weeks last episode we did two weeks ago um, this is about the time that kind of you start looking at Oxford United being run mm-hmm. by Neil Warnock ah so uh colin is is uh present at the beginning of his
0: uh bursting onto the scene the
1: beginning of his nastiness like the like the like uh yeah your star wars prequels Cronklin, Cronklin, your boy darth vader you know
0: he's had enough of feet and now he wants to shape football teams (laughs) exactly
1: Uh, exactly
0: so it was really good.
1: I enjoyed like uh, you know the forward from Big Rankson's nice. It's nice that uh, it's tied off at the end with Alan Biggs. Mm. Um, I yeah, I I I think it was a really really good read. Um, it really rips at a pace. It's well structured. Um, it gives a lot of. I think the thing that was really touching for me is it, it gives a lot of heart to those players who that I think we've forgotten a bit of like yeah. How much I think in a weird way how much Wednesday means to them. They they draw an allusion to the fact that like how Ron Atkinson was looking to bring in a ninety-seven Pearson as a protege as his right hand man, and that never materialised. And Ron Atkinson kind of it's kind of insinuated, not a quote, but Alex Miller kind of puts it that that was seemingly the thing that has. Maybe been more of a damage to right. Nigel Pearson's uh, reticence to ever nice manage Sheffield thing. Wednesday
0: because he's already been burned. Yeah, interesting. yeah,
1: it, it's very, very interesting. I think it's it's just so nice to see players talk so well about what a what a great time it was for them being at the club. Mm. You know, it wasn't just purely just like you know the manager let us get pissed and we had a good yes. laugh. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's some there's clearly something a lot more there, which is kind of left is picked up on, but kind of left more as a kind of running thread throughout the narrative.
0: Okay, yeah, that's good to know. I mean, that's the I think that's what you want to. There's a bit of Schadenfreude when you see these things about like pop star pop stars being miserable and things, but um, I think by and large. <laughs> you know, your heroes, you want to know that they were having a great time too. They loved it as well. much, mm-hmm. And that's a nice thing to, to, to have uh, confirmed, isn't it? Exactly. For all the, the tortured souls and things like that, that we, uh, we hear about in artistry. Um, and it's like, nah, it was great.
1: Right. And it's, it too. it's difficult to kind of, maybe that's a unique thing for us as Wednesday, as, as, as football fans, that mm-hmm. we have a club that we adore. And, you know, there's a degree of, adoration, idolatry for some of these characters who are the best at it. And it's nice when you get those moments where you see people enjoying it so much. I mean, maybe we've had a little bit of that ourselves, right? We talk about, yeah. we talk about Sam Hutchinson just looking absolutely made up with himself. Yes. And it's hard not to love those moments.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: But it's, it's interesting because it makes me think like that there's very few people who we seem to celebrate when they're happy.
0: Isn't that why we love Bullen? Like Bullen was not a wonderful footballer, but Bullen got it. Bullen yeah. l- loved it. Yeah. <laughs> lo- Wednesday was the absolute peak of his career and he he got he got it. He got why it was big, he got why it was exciting, he got that it was rare to be there. And that's what we as fans like we as fans watch football players on the pitch and uh, at some level we are embitterly bitterly jealous because it's like you are literally doing, but when, if I got a call from Darren Moore who has lost his mind and said, you know what? Next season, I want you to wear number nine for Wednesday, (laughs) but you have to give everything else up. I'd do it. Like that's, I still, I mean, I would do a terrible job. Maybe I'd worry about how bad I would be for Wednesday. Like at this Darren, what are you telling me about the situation at this football club? That this is, you know, I'm your choice for a striker. But um, take that all away. You know, it's what all of us, you know, we spent, we were we're playing in parks pretending we were Wednesday players. When we scored goals, we thought, we pretended we were doing it with a Wednesday shirt on. And Mm -hmm. I think the, the players who get how privileged and special that position is, and actually that doing it at Wednesday is a bit special as well. Those are the ones that we take to heart. And I think obviously for these players with the success, this is these were the beautiful glory days for them in the same way as the glory days for the club. And it's not many people get success again and again and again outside of a and particularly that period of time. I think there was a lot more of an even playing field in terms of winning trophies and having a successful football club. So to, to be involved in multiple successes at different clubs was rare. To be at a club that had multiple successes itself was rare. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's a lovely thing. I think if it captures that, that's something that will inspire me to to sort of keep plugging away because if it does capture that sort of rare spirit of, uh, of, of that shared adulation, then that, that sounds like something worth, uh, worth persevering with. I suppose to an extent you could talk and talk, but I, 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 what, do you feel comfortable with the place we've reached or do you want to have a closing thought or do you think that's a, a good, as good a place as any to kind of wrap things up?
1: I think it's as good a place as any. You know, I yeah, I really enjoyed it as a book. I I'd wholeheartedly recommend it personally.
0: Good stuff uh no sponsorship here there's no code to use um <laughs> you can go you can go and pay the the publishers full price and make sure alex gets rewarded for his hard work interviewing all the characters involved and uh and piecing it together um well that's good that's really good i i, I will i think as as a kind of uh to to not end this uh episode of different gravy on a, on a cliffhanger I, I'm going to I'm going to keep plugging away so maybe I'll report back at some point later on uh on my uh my closing thoughts but um thank you for that Luke thank you for your enthusiasm and thanks for uh <laughs> doing what I couldn't and uh and pushing on and uh and uh, and fin- finishing off the book um I'll try and be less rubbish in future okay. uh, <laughs> stop sucking stop sucking Rich <laughs> He's such a good man, manager Luke. <laughs> Luke knew was, that it was a, rich was he was sucking, and then I was like, "Why don't you stop sucking?" And then he was better.
1: Luke knew the right amount of abuse to give Rich.
0: <laughs> oh dear! Um, some need an arm around the shoulder. Some need their head given a wobble. <laughs> exactly. Did you like the thing that Big One used to slap people around the back of the head? That was his fun thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, a di- it's a different time as wasn't it? Wasn't different it? Time. it was a different time. Oh dear, I might stop doing that. <laughs> Just clip people from right the back of the head.
1: Give them a cuff around the back of the head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, thanks for mm. that. And uh thanks for listening at home, folks. And uh we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh uh for but for the meantime I'll say you know, cheerio, look after yourselves, and uh we'll we'll Catch you again soon. Cheerio, Luke.
1: Thanks, Rich. Have a good one, everyone.